The series is called Moses, a story of doubt and deliverance, and the title of today's message is Moses versus Pharaoh 5. So this is, this is part 5 of Moses versus Pharaoh. If you have not been here for all of these sermons, they are available on the app uh, or they're available um, on, online on our website, so you can check those uh, stories out. But the fact that there have been five sermons just on Moses versus Pharaoh uh, means this is a pretty epic rivalry that's happening right now. Moses keeps showing up in the Pharaoh's presence and saying, let my people go. And the Pharaoh folds his arms and then God starts pounding the land with plague after plague. And this has been going on for months now uh, and Pharaoh is still not letting them go. We all love a good rivalry. Am I right? We love sports rivalries. We love political rivalries. I read a quote this last week about a political rivalry between Abraham Lincoln and uh, his presidential opponent, Stephen A. Douglas. Lincoln was asked about uh, what he thought about Stephen A. Douglas's political ideas. And Abraham Lincoln said this, His ideas are as thin as the soup that was made by boiling the shadow of a pigeon that had been starved to death. (laughs) Zing! When I was in middle school and, and somebody said a good insult, we were all like, ooh. That's how I feel after I read a quote like that. I read a quote once, uh, or I read a quote this week about Beethoven, who apparently could, could uh, dish it out too. After listening to a competitor improvise on the piano for half an hour, Beethoven said this, will it be long before you begin? <laughs> 30 minutes. 30 minutes later, when are you going to get started? (laughs) I love it. Uh, There was U.S. President Harry Truman who was talking to Winston Churchill, and Harry Truman said about Winston Churchill's replacement that he seems a modest sort of fellow. And Churchill's response was, well, he's got a lot to be modest about. (laughs) Seems modest. Yeah, he's got a lot to be modest about. And I like in the soccer world, there's like an epic rivalry. Pastor Mark will love that I'm mentioning this because he's a big soccer fan. Between Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. How many soccer fans do we have in the room here? Because uh, you're aware of this then. And and so they're always talking and chitter-chattering. And this is more of a joke. This didn't really happen. But the joke is this. The joke is that Cristiano Ronaldo once said, God sent me down to earth to teach people how to play soccer. And the joke is when Lionel Messi heard this, he replied, don't be foolish, I didn't send anyone down. (laughs) Oh, got him. We love a good rivalry, right? We've got our sports rivalries, we've got our stories of the rivalries, right? Years, decades of rivalries. Um, And what we are seeing unfold here in the Bible is an amazing rivalry. Moses versus Pharaoh. Let my people go. And we're, we're going on the 10th plague here. Pharaoh's going round 10 with Moses today. And finally, he's going to cave. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles up to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11 right now. And while you're getting there, I'll give you a little background. The background is this. The year is 1500 B.C. We're going back in time. 1500 B.C. The problem is the Israelites... They came down to Egypt when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and Joseph saved Egypt from famine. Well, the Egyptians were glad then, but then they forgot 
who Joseph was, and they were no longer thankful to the Israelites. So what happened was the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. So now Pharaoh has a workforce of, you know, 600,000, you know, fighting age men, plus there's probably over a million, if not close to two million Israelites in Egypt, which is quite a workforce, uh, and Pharaoh doesn't want to let his slaves go. God is showing up to break the slaves free. Why? Because he made a promise to Abraham. The promise was this. You will have descendants as numerous as the seashore. Well, that's happening. Numerous as sand in the sea, uh, numerous as stars in the sky. That's happened. Abraham, who was 100 years old with no child, has now seen, uh, he hasn't seen it, but his descendants now are so numerous. And God promised that these descendants would be given the land. They would become the nation of Israel. Out of that land would come a blessing. The blessing for the world would be the Lord Jesus Christ born. Well, Pharaoh is trying to stop that from happening. All right? So, so if he doesn't let them go, no Israel means no Jesus means no Christmas. You should, like, react to that. It means no Christmas. So this is like the first Grinch, all right? When the Grinch stole Christmas, this is where it all began. The Pharaoh was the first Grinch. Uh, God needs to get his people out of there. So here we are in Exodus 11. Let's pray and then we'll read. Father, thank you that you are faithful to keep your promises to Abraham, who was the father of all who would believe. And Lord, because of our faith, we can trust you not just to save us from earthly slavery, but to save us from the bondage of sin. You're acting this out with Israel. You're showing us, Lord, that you can break captive people free and lead them into a land of promise. Uh, That's what we need. We need you to break us free and to lead us into a land of promise. But how can it happen? We pray that you would show us today through Pharaoh and through Moses what your plan is to save the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you there? Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. There's only two points to this sermon. The first one uh, is, is kind of a downer, and then the second one is an upper. So if you're, if you're feeling like you really need to be picked up and cheered up, you've got to wait the whole first point before that happens. If you're feeling a little, you know, too joyful, well, I'm about to bring you back down to earth. So here we go. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, afterward he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, uh, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. God's saying, this one's going to work. This last one, this tenth one is going to work. Not only is he going to drive you away, it's, it's going to be, you know, Moses has only been asking for like a short feast. Finally, Pharaoh's going to say, get out of here for good. And the people are going to be so motivated to get rid of you, they're going to be throwing their jewelry at you, saying, just get out, just get out, just get out. Verse 4, so Moses said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Who's going out? Who's, who's going out? The Lord. About midnight, the Lord is going out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Wow. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all your people who follow you, 
And after that, I will go out. And he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Jot this down. Number one, we have to flee and fear the wrath of God. The title of the sermon today is Salvation. We've talked about escalation. We've talked about condemnation. And now we get to salvation. God is about to set his people free. But his wrath is going to fall on the Egyptians. Why does God include such horrible stories of judgment in his Bible? The firstborn of all of the Egyptians are about to die. Midnight, it's happening tonight. It's coming tonight. You will have 100,000 funerals tomorrow. Pharaoh's response? Folds his arms. His people are already starving to death. And now this judgment comes, and it's gotten too bad. He's hardened his heart, God's hardened his heart, and now he can't change. Now he can't change. Now the wrath is unavoidable. God's wrath is coming, and Pharaoh is not fleeing, and he's not fearing. God wants you to know if you really are one of his, and so he shows stories where he makes a distinction. His judgment falls on some, but not on others, leaving you to ask the question, which group am I in? Will God's judgment, his wrath fall on me, or will somehow I escape? We have to flee the wrath of God. We have to fear the wrath of God. Because the day is coming when your time is up. The day is coming when God will say, you won't make it past midnight tonight. You don't know when that day is, but the day is coming and it's sooner than you would like. He says to Pharaoh, tonight, your firstborn won't make it through tonight. Pharaoh doesn't fear and he doesn't flee. It's very interesting to see what's happening in Hollywood right now and in, in politics and elsewhere, but all of these celebrities are getting caught because of their sexual misbehavior, right? Check this out. This is a picture of just a few of the guys who have been accused of sexual misbehavior. And with each one of them, there are great consequences. Tours are being canceled. Jobs are being taken from them, uh, right? Elections are being thrown into turmoil. Why? Why? Because the wrath is on them. When the world finds out what they did, the wrath is on them and people are demanding justice. Swift, severe justice. And when they don't get it, watch out. What you're seeing here is that there is a longing in the human heart for wrong to be punished. We have that because our God is just, because our God punishes wrong, and we crave that. We can't stand to see somebody get away with it, right? When you, when you hear a man like O.J. Simpson said, I've lived a pretty peaceful and nonviolent life, you're like, Right? Right? Can you just hear that and be like, oh, well, maybe he has. You're like, somebody's got to set him straight, right? There's a longing for justice. And God's wrath is his determination to punish every wrong completely. Um, this here is a limited judgment that God poured out on a limited group of people during one time period. It was like never before. He had never done this before, and he didn't do it again after this. It was very severe and it was very unusual. All the firstborn die tonight. Very severe, very unusual. Uh, and God will do this sometimes. He did it in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah where he practically turned a volcano upside down and shook it over the city until everyone was dead. He rained fire and sulfur and giant boulders down on them. Rare, but he does it. In the days of Noah, he did it, right? He filled the whole world with water and one family on the ark survived. We forget these warnings, though. We clean them up. Uh, we deny that they happen. 
which is why they sell, you know, which is why, like, you know, Mattel sells, like, a Noah's Ark bath playset, right? So the little kids can play with Noah and his floating zoo. Well, why don't they include some drowning victims in that little floating zoo playset? Little gray bodies so that they can sink to the bottom of the bathtub. I mean, would you buy that playset? See, we clean things up. We conveniently forget. Okay? And let me just ask you a question. Are, are you even afraid of God? Are you? He flooded the earth. Listen. He flooded the earth. He rained fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He announced to Egypt, the firstborn die tonight. This is God. So, too many people live never fearing that God's wrath would come upon them. They act like God is this big old teddy bear in the sky, like, like some care bear who would do nothing but give hugs and, and shoot rainbows from his stomach down on the earth. Like, they're not afraid of him. They're like, they think he's like, who's that bear from Toy Story 3? The, uh, what's his name? The, what's that? Lotsa? The Lotsa hugging bear? They, they, he just, he's just like my, my God who's always loved me and he's nothing but furry fun and hugs and uh, people live in this life like they don't have an address in hell with their name on it, right? Um, and if you think somehow, if you've reasoned your way into believing that God never really had a plan for you to go to hell, you don't understand what this book teaches at all. His wrath is coming and you don't know when. He told Pharaoh when, and he still didn't care. Pharaoh thought he was a god. He didn't think he had anything to be afraid of. You have to understand that his wrath is coming, and you have to fear it, and you have to flee it. God was fighting against the gods of Egypt here. It says that in a few verses. Pharaoh was considered, in the Egyptian belief system, Pharaoh was considered the son of the sun god. Son of God. The son of the sun god. He thought heaven was kind of locked up for him, right? He'd die, and then he'd, you know, have his family lead him off to, uh, to bliss, to paradise. Uh, then the real God shows up, and what did Pharaoh say? Who is your God that I should fear him? He had no fears. He lived without fear in the face of destruction. In an ancient Egyptian hymn, it mentions that the Egyptians dreaded the nighttime because it meant that their sun god had departed into the underworld See, so their gods moved around. They're polytheistic, and they thought that nighttime meant their sun god was kind of off-duty. So this, the thought that this judgment would come at midnight, kind of scary, because their god isn't really on patrol. They do have other gods, though, so they have perhaps the god Osiris, who is the Egyptian god of the dead. Maybe he'll do his job. Maybe he'll make sure that nobody takes our kids. Who knows what the pharaoh was thinking? But God threatened the male, the firstborn male children of Egypt. Now, this seems so severe, maybe even unfair. How could God do this? There's children dying in this judgment. Well, in Moses' day when he was born, what were the Egyptians doing to the Hebrew boys? What were they doing? Throwing them into the Nile. See, so God delayed the penalty for what Egypt did to the children of Israel, and now God waits. He's so patient with the wicked, and it's the tenth plague where he finally gives them a just punishment. Okay, so, so this punishment is fitting the crime. This is what they did to the Hebrew children. All right, and God is now demanding a payment for that sin. So this is a very just punishment. We have to flee and fear the wrath of God. Jot this down. God is trying to get your attention. 
He's trying to get your attention. This story of the firstborn of Egypt dying, uh, he puts these stories in the Bible to get your attention, to, to show you in advance what's coming. It's not like the firstborn, you know, in Chicago are all going to die tomorrow, but God's showing you, look, death is coming. Your, your death is coming. Uh, and so are you ready for that? Are you ready to stand before God and give an account for your life? Uh, and God is acting out in advance for us here through Egypt and Israel. What happens when God's judgment arrives? And there'll be no stopping it. There'll be no stopping it when it's time. Uh, I went to a play last night at Chicago Christian High School because my nephew Jake was in the play. And it was uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. It's a great play. I'd never seen it before. So it's a musical. And uh, throughout this play, there are so many themes um, that are being dealt with on the stage. The theme of family. The theme of sticking together. The theme of love and marriage. The theme of big city and, you know, smaller city. Uh, the, the theme of a world's fair and gathering together for progress, you know, uh, moving forward. So many themes. Um, and, and in this one family in the play, you see acted out themes that were happening on a larger scale in the country at the time, right? Well, that's what a play does. It shows you bigger themes in a smaller setting. That's what's happening in Egypt right here. In Egypt, God is acting out larger themes on this stage. He's showing you what happens when his judgment comes. He's showing you what happens when you defy his word. He's showing you what happens when you hear the warning and you flee to safety. He's showing all, he's showing all of that to us, and he's using these actors in Egypt and Israel to act it out for us. We're supposed to get the message. We're supposed to see the warning. Um, God is trying to get your attention. How many of you saw the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? How many of you saw that movie? Yeah? You guys watched movies, did you, growing up? I caught you on that one. I didn't get saved until college. That's why I watch movies. What's your excuse? Those of you with fundamentalist backgrounds are laughing louder than the rest of people. So the movie Groundhog Day is funny because Bill Murray gets stuck in the same day over and over and over, and he can't get out of it. So he develops a very adversarial relationship with his alarm clock because it wakes him up every morning on the same day, and he's not happy about it. Check it out. I you for the rest of your life. snooze button at least once this week on your alarm clock. Come on, raise your hand up if you hit it. The, you know, nice warm bed, nice soft pillow, I'm, you know, snooze, snooze. Um, God tries to get our attention. He gives us wake-up calls. The alarm clock rings. He does it. And if we keep hitting the snooze button, or heaven forbid, we start crushing the alarm clock so that we can't hear his warnings anymore, then we're in really bad shape. See? If, if that's what we're doing with the warnings of the Lord, then we're in really, really bad shape. The question, though, is how is God going to get our attention? Because with Egypt, he, you know, sends an army of frogs and, you know, or gnats or lice. And he, okay, he's not going to do that. You're not going to get home today and see, you know, your, your kitchen full of locusts, uh, right? But so then you have to ask, how is God going to get my attention? Well, death is one big way he gets your attention. In Ecclesiastes 7, 2, 
Solomon said, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. The living should take this to heart. Solomon, in a poetic fashion, says, I'll take a funeral over a wedding any day. Because a funeral wakes me up to my own end. And maybe you've lost somebody recently. That is a wake-up call. Your time is coming. But there are other ways God gives us a wake-up call. Maybe there's a broken relationship that you just can't repair. And the fact that it's broken is breaking your heart. And that's one of God's ways of showing you you need Him. You need His help. Maybe there's a health problem that you and the doctors just can't get under control or can't explain. That's one of God's ways of showing you you need His help. Maybe there's a financial crisis, your fault or someone else's fault, that is haunting you. And, uh, and, and there's just this need and you don't know how it's going to turn out. You're afraid of the future or you regret the past. That's one of God's ways. That ache is one of God's ways of telling you you need His help. But those are just earthly things that God uses to show you that you need earthly help. All of that is supposed to add up to your greater need, which is the fact that you need His spiritual help to get rid of your sin. You can't take care of your spiritual problems without Him. God is trying to get your attention. How has He showed you your need for Him recently? And are you hitting this news button? Are you, are you hitting this news button? Or are you ready to wake up to your need for God? Number one is flee and fear the wrath of God. First sub-point is God is trying to get your attention. The next sub-point is this. God is alerting you to your peril. So he used the plagues to get the Pharaoh's attention. Now he's sending a messenger with the word of God to alert Pharaoh to his peril. Tonight the judgment is coming. Uh, tonight, it's, it's right now, it's right here. He's alerting Pharaoh to his peril. And God is alerting you to your peril through stories like this in the Bible. Um, and are you listening? Warning, danger. How does a holy God warn us of what happens one moment after we die? He gives us stories of judgment in the Bible so we get ready for it in advance. Um, God is trying to save you from what's coming. Maybe not tonight, but soon. Soon. Can you imagine the wake-up call? If this had happened today, if God picked Chicago and said, that's it, they need a wake-up call. All the firstborn die today. Uh, there's about 1.1 maybe million households in Chicago. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the headlines? If tomorrow morning we woke up and there were 1.1 million dead in Chicago alone. Imagine everyone on your street. Imagine every street in your city bringing someone out. An ambulance on every driveway. Funeral homes not knowing what to do. There'd be 1.1 million funerals this week. Chicago's already in the headlines. Imagine what happens then. That's the wake-up call Egypt got. And that level of severity shows us the wrath of God. And we should fear. We should fear. Now you might be like, well, that's not going to happen. God won't do that in Chicago, so I'm good. I don't have to worry about that. True, we probably don't have to worry about that type of judgment, but just put it into perspective. There's about, I read, two and a half million Americans who die every year. Think about that number. 
natural or unnatural cause or whatever, you add it all up, it's about two and a half million every year. That's a whole lot of people going over the falls into eternity. I mean, that's a rushing river, right? I think it's every 10 seconds in the country someone goes over, someone goes over, and and you're going to be one of them soon. And it's unstoppable. Millions of people every year, just in our country, go off into the next life. And your day's coming, and my day's coming, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Are you ready for that? We have to flee and fear the wrath of God. God's trying to get your attention. He's alerting you to your peril. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die, what does it say? Once, and after that comes judgment. Okay, a lot of wrong teaching on this. You get this many lives. Okay, if it were a video game, one and done. There are no bonus lives. Okay, maybe you grew up like me and there was a teaching about purgatory in your church. Okay, that's a made-up doctrine, made up in the church hundreds of years after Christ. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches you get extra credit work after this life that could get you into a heaven. Right, so if you're counting on some sort of a purgatory experience and you're waiting until the next life to figure it out, you've been deceived. That's a false teaching, and you need to reject it right now. You get this many, all right? Maybe you grew up in more of an Eastern religion where you were told you get unlimited lives, and you just keep, to keep coming back and back and back and back, and there's nothing in the Bible that supports that. You get this many. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's it. You get one. You get one, and it's over. Are you ready? God is alerting you to your peril. You have to remember you're mortal. Your time is coming sooner than you would like. I heard Francis Chan say something earlier this week that really struck me. He, he said, if you live to be 80, your heart will beat 3 billion times. And then he said, what works 3 billion times? He said, not your phone. Your blender? No. Car? No. I mean, you're trusting this to keep going and God can at any point say it's over. Flee and fear the wrath of God. One scholar said this, if the word of God cannot be refused endlessly, there always has to be an end, a meeting with the God whom our refusals have offended to the point of finality. It's true. Pharaoh's time is up. Jot this down. God is also rejecting all your bargains. God is rejecting all of your bargains. His wrath is coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. I've got two door frames up here to represent the Egyptians and the Israelites. This also represents two types of people in this room. The one door frame is going to represent what God sees when he looks down at uh, the Egyptians. And we're going to put a verse up on the screen too that, that describes human nature. It says this. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. God sees sin in your heart. It's black. It's dark. When God looks down and he looks into your heart, what he sees is not pretty. It's dark. It's black. And the nature of sin is such that it doesn't matter if you feel like you've sinned a little or you've sinned a lot or whatever by comparison to your co-workers or your sister or whatever. You're not as bad of a sinner as others. It doesn't matter because sin is sin. 
And God's wrath is his holy opposition to all sin. And when he sees sin, he has to judge it or he's not just. We're fine with God judging the sins of other people, but we don't like it when he calls our behavior sin, but it's all sin. And the idea that God's wrath is coming upon sin is actually a very good thing because if there's a God who doesn't judge sin, heaven would not be very fun. It would be filled with sin. And heaven with sin is not heaven. So we know God has to judge sin. The question is, if I were to ask you, why are you getting into heaven? What would you say if you had to write that down right now? Why should God let you get into heaven? Uh, if you were at the gates tonight, why, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell God? There are a lot of people in the room right now who would say something like this. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Maybe that's what you would say. And that's your speech. So, uh, that's the most popular answer I get when I ask people that question. Problem is this. Um, good people don't go to heaven. Because good means that there's a measure of sin in your life. And that means that your nature is black. The sin springs out from a sinful heart. So just because you're not sinning 24-7, it doesn't matter. You still have a black, sinful heart, and God's judgment will come upon you. If you think you're a pretty good person, you just have to face the reality that Pharaoh thought he was a pretty divine person, and that didn't matter. God was clearing up his misperception. God is rejecting all of Pharaoh's bargains, and God's rejecting your bargains. Uh, who goes to heaven? Good people don't go to heaven. Um, saved people go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You have a problem. Pharaoh had a problem. And he kept playing games with God. I'll obey a little. I'll obey for a little while. I'll do a few good things. Just, just get God out of my hair. And finally the game is done. And Pharaoh went off to condemnation. Number one is you have to flee and fear the wrath of God. And God's wrath is coming. And I hope you're wondering now, well, how do I get out of God's wrath? So everybody say, how? 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 Good. Number two. Jot this down. Find and keep the mercy of God. Find and keep the mercy of God. So check out Exodus 12, verse 3. Uh, it says in Exodus 12, verse 3, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. This is very weird, because God's about to kill, you know, maybe 100,000 Egyptians, and he's giving the Israelites dinner plans. A little strange. Reading on, it says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Now they're painting the blood of a sacrificed lamb on the door. Killing the animal is that, maybe, maybe you're, you know, like, the animals. Like, they, they, like, didn't have McDonald's back then. So it's pretty common for them to prepare their own food. So don't be like, oh, all right. Like, th this is like what they did pretty often. They had to get their food ready every day. But the fact that they're all doing it at the same time and that they're painting the blood on the door, that's a little weird. All right, that's, that's very weird. Um... So we have to ask ourselves what's going on here. Now look at verse 11. It says in verse 11, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. That's a little weird. 
I don't know what it's like in your household, but at dinner time, I'm trying to get my kids to sit down. Sit! Sit in your seat and don't get up. Where are you going? Sit back down, right? Am I the only one? Testify? All right, sit down! Don't get up! This meal is supposed to be eaten with people standing up, their staff in the hand, and their coats on. Okay, kids, go get your winter coats on. Stand on up, push your chair in. Uh, you know, let's get our walking sticks in our hand and eat as fast as you can. Really? <laughs> Where are we going? It's a funny way to eat a feast. Plus, they didn't even get it done. They're supposed to, like, sling more food on their back. So you got, like, food in the backpack, and you're eating as fast as you can like a slob. Why? Because we are about to get out of here. That's called the Passover. It's called the Passover. God's about to rescue his people, and he wants them ready when the time comes to leave slavery. This is a portrait of God saving his people spiritually. They are finding the mercy of God. We learn so much about this. It says in verse 13, uh, in verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is bad news and good news. Which do you want first, the bad or the good news? Okay, the bad news is this. I'm coming tonight to judge Egypt, and all of your firstborn are going to die too. What's the good news? Good news is, if I see blood over the door, I'll pass over you, and my judgment won't touch you. Were the Israelites more, more righteous than the Egyptians? Had they sinned less? What made them different? They heard the warning. Something died. God saw the blood. And his judgment passes by. That's the difference. How they listen to the word of God, the substitute, the blood, that's why they're saved. This is answering a question for us that everyone has to answer. How can I get saved? How can I get saved? It says in Hebrews eleven twenty eight by faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It was by what? What does it say? By? Come on, say it louder. By? What saved them when God's wrath came? Say it one more time. It wasn't the blood. It was the faith in what they heard. And it was that God saw the sacrifice, their obedience, that faith led to salvation. We're saved in the Old and the New Testament by faith in what we hear. And what is it that we hear in the Old Testament? If a lamb dies and his blood is over your life, my, my uh, wrath will pass over. What do we hear in the New Testament? If Jesus dies and his blood covers your sin, my judgment will pass over you. Do you see how they both tell the same story? Do you see it? Do you see it? Jot this down. Jesus is God's plan to save you. This first Passover, God was acting out what he would do through his son. Jesus is God's plan to save you. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. This idea of a Passover lamb is supposed to point to Jesus, like a big arrow. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. So let me act this out for you. Do you know that uh, when Jesus was betrayed, he was eating a feast with his disciples? Do you know know what week that was? What week was it? Passover. It's Passover. So if you went outside and walked the streets of Israel... Uh, you would see some of the more devout Jews 
had the blood of the lamb that they were eating for dinner on the door. You could walk up and down the streets and you would see the blood on the door. And Jesus was eating with his disciples, right? And that's when communion started. So he said, this is my body and this is my... My what? My blood. And um, John the Baptist called Jesus the what? The what of God? The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this idea of a lamb... 1,500 years before Christ being slain and then the Israelites painting blood on the door and then God coming down to judge Egypt and yet he sees the blood of the lamb on the door and his judgment passes by. All got us ready for when Jesus, the lamb of God, would die on the cross. And when his blood was shed at the cross, then God would see the blood of his son over the life of anyone who believed in him. And when God's judgment would come, uh, he would see the blood, and just like he did in Egypt, he would pass over. And therefore, that person would not die. But it's because of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at the cross, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ leads to the blood covering your life. And um, one day when you stand before God in judgment, a book is going to be opened. And that book has all of your deeds that you've ever done. What would the New York Times think if they had a chance to publish your whole life story? Every secret, every sin, everything you've ever said. I'd have a bad day. Yeah, I'd, I'd have a bad day. If, uh, if you read my whole story, we'd have a much smaller church next week. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Your book will be read in heaven and it will condemn you. There's nothing in your book that, you know, and you're like, well, I've done a lot of good things since then. Yeah, that's like putting a few stickers up here. Okay, great. Wow, wonderful. Your book will not get you into heaven. You will stand under the condemnation of what you've done. Your book will lead you to hell. But there's another book that's opened in heaven, and what's that called? The book of the... No, the book of the Lamb. The book of the Lamb. That's kind of interesting. The Lamb who was slain has a book. When his book is opened in heaven, those who are his get to go into heaven. Why? Because his blood washed away all their sin. His blood covers the sin, and when God sees the blood of Christ over your life, he passes by. Please understand that if you think that you're going to heaven because of what you've done, you're not going to heaven. If you think you're going to heaven because of what Christ has done, you're going to heaven. We have to find and keep the mercy of God. Jesus is the plan out. The the blood of the Lamb is the only way out. And the blood of the Lamb turns away the wrath of God. Do you want to know how to get to heaven? You've got to be saved. You've got to be rescued. You need someone, just like Moses came, gave the people away so that the blood saved them from the wrath of God. So Jesus showed up and gives you a way to be rescued. God's judgment is coming. Are you rescued yet? Here, I found a video of somebody getting rescued. It was a motorcycler who got into an accident and uh, pedestrians had to stop and go save him. Check it out. 21-year-old Brandon Wright was riding near Utah State University in Logan when he collided with a BMW. What happened next is nothing short of amazing. As reporter Chris Jones shows us, almost a dozen people risked their own lives to save right, and it was all caught on camera. Check that out. Okay, so that's how you get to heaven. Okay, well, let's play that again. You need to be rescued. Here it comes. You need to be rescued. 
Someone needs to pull you out from under the burning car. Who has saved you? Who has grabbed you by the ankle and pulled your lifeless body out of harm's way? Jesus is the only one who can do it. So tell me a story of when you got saved. Don't tell me all the good things you think you did. Oh, I'm kind to animals. I've given money to charity. That's nothing. Who has grabbed you by the ankle and pulled you to safety? You need a savior. Find and keep the mercy of God. Jesus is God's plan to save you. Write this down. So ask Jesus to take your sins away. Ask him. Only Jesus can take your sins away. He's the only one. Do you even realize you need a Savior? It says in John 1.29, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you asked Jesus to take away your sins? Ben Affleck is Batman. How many of you have seen the, it's not, it's not Avengers, what is it? It's the Justice League, right? Is that what it is? So how many of you have seen the new Batman movie? Nobody? I heard it's kind of lame. Um, check it out. We've got a picture of Batman here, and Ben Affleck is Batman. So USA Today, this week, interviewed Batman. And Batman had something to say about why superhero movies are so popular. Here's what he said. He said, part of the appeal of this superhero genre is wish fulfillment. Wouldn't it be nice, Batman said, if there was somebody who can save us from all of this, save us from ourselves, save us from the consequences of our actions, and save us from people who are evil. Yeah, it would be nice, Batman. (laughs) Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! I mean, figure it out! I was just thinking it would be really nice if there was someone in real life who could do all this. Only Jesus can take away your sins. He came into the world to save us. Has he saved you? Have you found the mercy of God? Mercy means God meets you in your misery and leads you out. He grabs you by the ankle and pulls you out of your misery. That's what has to happen. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. Have you been rescued? Have you been saved? When did it happen? Well, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, maybe you've been around Christians your whole life. If you were born in the church, look, this is you. Yeah, but Grandma always made potluck at church on Sunday. Yeah, well, Grandma was over there. Here's where you were. Okay, so the more Christians you were around, the more you should have been like, man, that looks really appealing. Why am I standing here? All right, this is what your Christian upbringing should have showed you. And if anybody ever told you that this is you at birth, all right, just go slap that person because this is where your story starts. So when did this happen? When did this happen? Tell me when that happened. And if you don't have a story... Maybe now's the time. So jot this down. You have to ask Jesus to give you eternal life. You have to ask him. You have to ask him. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be born again. In John 3.36, it says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God, there's that word again, the wrath of God remains on him. Folks, The Lord is warning us today, which door are you under? Check out Exodus 12, verse 28, to see the end of the story. It says in verse 28, uh, 12, 28, Then the people of Israel went out and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They're standing here. They did what God said. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as, he, as you've said. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you've also said, and be gone. Bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we should all be dead. We're, we're all going to die. Get them out of here. This is the severity of the wrath of God. God is sharing this story with you today, not as like some ancient, you know, this, this is you. And his judgment is coming, and there will be no escape when the time is up. And there will be no excuses. Do you have the blood of the Lamb over your house? Because when his judgment comes, when his wrath comes, there are some people who will fall before it, never to rise again. And there are some people who will pass through it. And, and they have left the land in haste, and they have walked through the waters, and they have landed in the land of promise. And those are the people who believe what they heard. Number one is flee and fear the wrath of God. God is trying to get your attention. He's alerting you to your peril. He's rejecting all of your bargains. Number two is find and keep the mercy of God. Jesus is God's plan to save you. Ask Jesus to take away your sins. Ask Jesus to give you eternal life. I want to give you a chance right now to really move with God, to move from under your own works, your own condemnation, and to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is your shot, and these last few weeks have been filled with some of the most powerful and horrifying warnings in all of Scripture. And, and my heart breaks for those of you who are still unconvinced. And there's nothing I can do about that, but you've been warned. But those of you who are ready, I want to give you a chance right here and now to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our hearts, and let's all pray together. Father, I know there are some right here today who are ready ready to be pulled out from under the burning car, the people who are ready to be pulled out of harm's way, the people who are ready and confident to stand before a holy God and to have their entire book read in the presence of the angels and then to say, check the other book. Check the other book. My name is in there. Check it. I know there are people who right now today see their need for a Savior. And Lord, I just give expression to their faith. I just give them right now a prayer that they can pray to you. These aren't magic words. These are faithful words. And in their own hearts, they can respond to what they've heard by saying this. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Father, forgive me, for my book is filled with sins. Here and now, I turn away from my life of sin. I stand up, I grab my stick, I put my coat on, and I'm ready to leave slavery behind forever. Father, I just pray for those who are ready to leave in haste. They don't want what the world has anymore. They want to get out of it. I just pray that they would cry out in their hearts and say, save me, Jesus. I pray that they would believe that Jesus died on the cross for them, that the blood of the lamb can cover over all their sins, and that when your wrath comes, it will pass them by, not because of what they've done, but because of what Christ has done on their behalf. Right now, I pray that some would be asking for salvation, asking for rescue in the quiet of their own heart, and I pray that they would find it. Fill them with the joy that comes with knowing that they are saved forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.